me to John chapter number 9. And I want to read to you one of my favorite stories um, in the Word of God concerning how Jesus dealt with people. Now, if we can find out how Jesus dealt with people, we'll find out how we're supposed to deal with people. Can you say amen to that? He is our example. He is the one we are to look to. We are to be disciples or followers of Christ. We are to be Christians or Christ-like. And so if we can figure out what He does with people, um, then that's going to be a great message for each and every believer. So in John chapter number 9, we're going to look at verse number 1 and read down through verse number 12. The Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man. Everybody say, he saw a man. I love that. Which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him or brought to the light in him. Verse number 4 tells us, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Amen. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. And the neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that had sat and begged? Now watch verse 9. Some said this is he, and others said he is like him, but he said, I am he. <laughs> Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And he answers them in verse number 11, and in this answer we find the title of my message this morning. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus. Now if I could entitle this message, that's what it's going to be. A man that is called Jesus. And listen, the man called Jesus made all the difference in this man's life. And I'll tell you this. A man called Jesus made a difference in my life. And a man called Jesus can and will make a difference in your life if you'll trust him this morning. He goes on and says this. He made clay and he anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Salaam and wash. And I went and I washed and I received sight. Then they said unto him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you again for your presence in this place. Without your presence, nothing we do really means anything. But I'm so thankful today you've met with us. I'm thankful, Lord, that you are always with your children, but you manifest yourself in our presence this morning. And for these things, we thank you, Lord. God, you're good to us. May we see the truth of your word this morning in a fresh new way. Would you give us a fresh anointing upon these services so that, Lord, eyes might be opened to see your truth. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray and for your sake. Amen. Now, the book of John is certainly my favorite of the gospel writers. I, I love the account that John writes down. I like all of them, but John has to be my favorite. The gospel of John is called the book of love, and rightly so, because it teaches us the love that God has um, for all of mankind. And that's one thing that we see here in John chapter number 9. But I especially like this story for many different reasons. First of all, it shows us who Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but I always want to see that. I want to see who Jesus is in Scripture and what He does and how He interacts with people. But it also shows us how much we need Him. 
how much we need him physically and how much we need him spiritually. But folks, this morning, one reason that I absolutely love this story of the blind man and Jesus is that it shows us the purpose of the church. It shows us what the church is to be about in this world. Now, before we go any further, let me define our terms. When I'm speaking about the church, uh, what are we really talking about? I bet this morning if I went around and asked individually each one of you this morning what the church is, I'd probably get a lot of different answers. I'm going to bet that a lot would say, well, the church is this building that we're sitting in. It's these four walls and the roof that we're sitting under this morning. Now, folks, I want you to understand this is certainly God's place. It's here for his purpose. Listen, we are his people that are meeting here. But how many of you know this is not his church? These four walls and this roof, even though I'm thankful for it and I respect it, and I'm so thankful that God has given it unto us as his body, I want you to know these four walls are not the church. It cannot be the church according to Scripture. You say, Brother, how do you know that? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16. I'm not going to go over there and read it for you this morning, but you can write that Scripture down. Go to Matthew 16 and verse number 18. You're going to find a discussion that Jesus had with his disciples. He looked at all of them and he said, well, who are, who are men saying that I am? When you're out in the community, when you're out in the world, what are people saying about me? And he said, they said, well, Lord, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some think you're John the Baptist being brought back from the dead. And he looked at them and he, he, he asked them a question that we ourselves need to answer concerning the Lord. He said, but who do you say that I am? What about you? You've told me what everybody else says. Who do you say Jesus is? And so my question for you this morning, who do you say he is? Who is Jesus to you? I can tell you about Jesus all day long. You can listen to other people's testimony of what Christ has done in their lives. But what has he done for you? Who is Jesus to you today? And Peter says, well, Lord, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood ain't give this to you, buddy. The Holy Spirit of God has given you this truth. And he goes on to say, you are Peter and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. He's not saying I'm going to build it on Peter. Because Peter's just a man like I am. <laughs> Amen. Peter had faults and failures just like all the rest of us do. But he's not saying I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. But on this statement of faith, this bedrock of truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build my church. And he goes on to say in verse 18, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't care how hot hell gets or, listen, how much the devil rages. Do you know that the purpose of the church will be fulfilled? Do you know that the church is eternal? Do you know that we have victory in Christ? Man, I've been reading the book of Revelation, and let me tell you what it says to me. Victory. Victory. If you're on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are on the victorious side. Man, what a blessing that is. So according to Scripture, these four walls and this roof can't be the church because this building's not eternal. Man, it's falling away and it's fading away. Lord willing, we're about to build a new building. Y'all pray about that. I'm praying on it. I want you to pray on it. I, I, I'm seeing God doing a work right here. We're thankful for it. and We want to move forward in faith. But I'm praying for God's will to be done. I want you to do the same thing. So we're planning all this. We're going to build a new building. But how many of you know that building ain't going to stay new long? 
Everything in this world is falling and fading away. The Bible says that it can be shaken and it will be shaken. So this building can't be the church for the church is eternal. Now, we need revelation from the Word of God and illumination by the Spirit of God so that we might get a hold of this truth. Let me tell you why we need to get a hold of this truth. Why is this important to us? Listen, if your view of the church is that it's this building, then let me tell you what's going to happen. When you come to this building once or twice or three times a week, guess what's going to happen? You're going to think that somehow you fulfilled your obligation. Well, I've come to church, I've done my part, and I'm going to go out and do whatever else I want to do. I'm going to go out and please myself and do what I think to be right, but I'll come to church because that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Let me say something to you. Listen, we need to get a hold of the truth that we don't come to church, but we are the church as believers. We don't come and just simply, uh, uh, listen, meet our obligation to be in service weekly, but we're to be in the service of the Lord daily. Wherever we are, whether we're here, whether we're at home, or we're at our workplace, wherever we're going. To be the church means that we are becoming, by the power of the living God, the people God has saved us to be. We're becoming husbands that love our wives like Christ loves the church. We're becoming wives that respect and honor their husbands as the spiritual head of their household. We're becoming parents who raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're becoming witnesses that carry the gospel across the street and around the world. That's being the church. There's a big difference. And if we get that mixed up, then we really missed it all. Now, right here in these 12 verses, Jesus gives us the picture of what we, the church, the body of Christ, those that have been blood-bought and born again, those that have placed their faith in Christ and become a part of God's family, His body, individual members collectively a part of one body. He tells us here in these 12 verses what it means to be the church, be the hands, be the feet of Christ. And He shows us by how He interacts with this blind man. The first thing that I want you to see is the focus. Notice the focus Jesus has. It says in verse number 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man. Now, if you see something, that means you're focused upon that. And Jesus saw a man. He was focused upon a man. Now, listen to me, folks. I'm going to submit this to you. This morning, I want you to know, if you don't get a hold of anything else, the focus, has always, the focus of Jesus has always been on people. Always. How many know he came here because people needed saving? The Bible says, one of my favorite verses, I'm sure it's one of yours too, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now the word world there is a very interesting word, and it's used three a lot of times throughout the New Testament. But anytime you see the word world in the New Testament, it can mean one of three things. It can mean the physical world. The, Robert, the, the, the rivers and the rocks and the trees and the mountains and all the things that we see outside physically that God spoke into creation. It can mean that. It can mean the world's system that is against God and against His truth. The system that's ruling and reigning, listen, under the direction of the prince of the power of the air today, Satan himself. 
So, so it can mean those two things, but I don't think that's what it means in John 3.16. God did not give his son so that he might shed his blood on a cross and die for the rivers and the rocks and the trees. That's not what he died to redeem. Can you say amen to that? Now, God's not against rivers and rocks and trees. He created and he said it's good. Amen. And I'm not against it either. I'm just saying that's not why Jesus died. Jesus died for the world of humanity. He died for men, women, boys, and girls. He died for every soul upon this earth. I love J. Vernon McGee. He's one of my favorite preachers. That brother was a prophet, I'm telling you. He died back in the 70s, but if you hear his message today, it's almost like he's still right here with us preaching the truth. He was preaching it way back then, and all that's coming to pass now. And that brother was sharing the, the word, and I heard him say something I've never forgotten. He said, if you could hear the heartbeat of God, you would hear it saying, souls, 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 souls. Now, why is that? Because every man, woman, boy, and girl upon this earth has a soul, and that soul is going to live for an eternity somewhere. Listen, you're either going to spend an eternity in a devil's hell or in God's heaven. And all of that is determined by your reaction to the gospel. Whether you choose to accept the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, or you choose to reject who Jesus is. Listen, that determines where you spend your eternity. Now the Bible says, for the believer in the book of 2 Corinthians, that if our gospel, the true gospel, the gospel we trusted in, the gospel that saved our soul, that if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. So what should our focus be on? Well, if the focus for Jesus was on people, how many know it will be on people for us? Amen. That's the church. We ought to see, me, see needs and then meet the needs. Isn't that what the hands of, being the hands and feet of Jesus is all about? Now, practically, how does that look in your life? If you see a brother or sister in need, help them. If you see somebody in the world in need, help them. And that will open all kinds of doors for you to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you are. Amen? We'll talk about that more in a minute. But our focus has got to get right. We, listen, my prayer for Mount Zion Baptist Church is that everything we do, we are focused on the right things. Every plan, every program. Listen, we're talking about loving God and loving people and serving God and serving people and encountering God and encountering people. We've got to keep our focus right if we're going to be what God called us to be right here. That's why we do all the stuff we do. That's why we've got Sunday night D-group meeting, teaching you what it means to be a disciple of Christ straight from the Word of God. That's why we have Sunday school. You get them babies up and bring them to Sunday school because when they get in Sunday school, they're learning the truth of the Word of God that they can apply to their heart and life that will change them and make them what God wants them to be. That's why we've got children's church. We've got something geared toward them kids that can bring the gospel to their level and speak right to them. That's why we have Mission trips. Because listen, we're focused on people that are dying and going to hell. And if we don't tell them who's going to. That's why we do all this stuff. We're trying to keep our focus right. The focus of Jesus was on people and ours must be on people as well. And if we miss that, then folks, we've missed it all. 
I can tell you this. You want God's blessing on your church and on your life? Get concerned about what God's concerned about. Now, I ain't mad at carpet, but I don't love carpet. You hear me? There's some people that are more concerned about saving the carpet than saving souls. Oh, brother, there's a week. We can't do that. Well, something gets on the carpet. Brothers, we got paint missing downstairs on the wall because we got all these people lined up down there going to Sunday school, scraping the walls up. If you don't have scrapes, you don't have people. If you don't get dirty carpets, you don't have people. And guess what? I'd rather have people. We can clean the carpet and we can paint the walls. Listen, that's not what it's about. Again, we respect what we have here. Of course, it's God's and we're going to take care of it better than I'll even take care of mine. Amen. But I'll tell you this, our main focus is to reach out to people and help them. Amen. Make a difference in their life, because that's really what matters. Notice the focus of Jesus, but also notice the futility of the disciples. This blows my mind, but it shouldn't because we're all like this. I mean, I can really get down on Peter and James and John and all these disciples here, but the truth is I see myself in their question. Watch what they say, John 9, 2. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? <laughs> that this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, nothing. Uh, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Instead of the disciples blessing this man, instead of the disciples being a blessing to this situation, they're being a burden to it. And it's all because they're thinking wrong. Their thinking is futile. That means their question is futile or it means nothing. Listen to me, folks. The disciples here were not concerned about getting more information so they could help the guy. They're concerned about digging up skeletons that are in his closet. They're concerned about how his mom and daddy done wrong that brought this on him. They're concerned about getting a hold of some juicy gossip just like all of us are sometimes. Instead of seeing the need and meeting the need. You got me? Now listen to me. Is it true that your decisions matter? Well, sure it is. I mean, it just stands to reason. If you make bad decisions, things are going to go bad for you. If you choose to disobey God's blueprint for living, which is his word, then your life is not going to be all that God wants it to be and all you want it to be. That's just the way it is. But just because people go through bad times and bad things happen to them, that does not always mean that they've done something wrong. Now, my whole problem with the thinking of the disciples, their thinking and their question is futile simply because, listen to me, folks, what if they did figure out that the man had done something wrong or his parents had done something wrong? They can't do nothing about it. Can they? I mean, they're not God incarnate in the flesh. They're not Jesus. They can't forgive sin. Again, their, 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 their motivation is not to help this guy. Their motivation is to find 
those skeletons that all of us have. And we got to be very careful about that. Because all of us can fall into that trap. Let me tell you why. Because we've got a sinful nature. And it's because of our sinful nature that if we can find out something negative about someone else, somehow it makes us feel more positive about ourselves. Let me tell you how I know that. Facebook. I've got a Facebook account simply because that helps keep my blood pressure up. It's a love-hate relationship with me because a lot of times I can get on it and it's all right. And it can be used for good. I have no doubt about that. But sometimes I can only get stinking mad. You know? About the ridiculousness of stuff. Let me tell you what people will do. People will always, 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 always post the most positive thing in their life. And a lot of times what will happen, everybody will look at that and see how positive everything looks in everybody else's life. And then they'll get discouraged because things ain't looking that well in their life. Amen? So you'll try to make yourself look just as good as you can possibly look. And a lot of times that's a false front. Amen. Because people are really broken on the inside. But then people will also try to make others look just as bad as they can possibly look too. Are you getting me? But it really shows human nature about how we think and how we react. When we walk in the flesh... Are you getting a hold of that? And so that's where the disciples are. And if we're not careful, we can be in the same place. And that line of thinking leads to, well, you know what? If that, that, if that man would do better, he'd be better. You ever heard somebody say that? You ever heard somebody give you this verse? Let me see if you, if you remember this verse. God helps those who help themselves. Well, you ain't heard a verse like that. Let me tell you why. That's not in the Bible. Now, people will quote it as a verse because Papa said it and Uncle so-and-so said it. And, man, they were good folks. We know it's a Bible verse. No, it's not. It's amazing to me some of the things we say that God don't even say. You ever heard this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. That ain't a verse. There ain't nothing wrong with getting clean. But this is not in the Bible. I mean, we just make stuff up because it sounds good, but it's all because of our futile, pointless thinking. Motivated by the flesh. Let me just go one step further. Probably don't need to, but I'm going to. People in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks. Point number three. The focus of Jesus, the futility of the disciples, but listen to this. How Jesus... Sees the future is our next point. Look, look what it says here in verse number four. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. I love how he says that. He says, guys, listen. I ain't worried about all the, what he's done or what his mom and daddy's done. You shouldn't be worried about that. That wasn't none of their business. Now, Jesus could help him in that stuff. They couldn't. He said, what I'm trying to do is do the work of my father while I can. Because there's going to come a time when I can't work. He's speaking about, I think, how quickly the future catches up with us. <laughs> Doesn't it happen? Before we know it, before we know it, tomorrow's here. Man, it has for me. My goodness, I, 
I was telling somebody at work the other day, man, it's hard for me to believe I'm as old as I am. It don't even seem right. It seems, I promise you, just like yesterday, I was holding my baby girl in my, in my arms, Anna Kate, and now she's as tall as I am. And it's just like that, man, it was gone. And I, told, I was telling him at work, I said, man, I don't feel that old, but I look back now, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm older than I really think I should be. Does that make sense? It's crazy. Now, I don't know, this may probably sound a little bit weird to you, but I love reading inscriptions on tombstones. As a matter of fact, if, if I'm ever in a graveyard, I, I like to just walk around the tomb and read all the inscriptions that are put there. I saw one in the, in the cemetery over at Bethlehem where my brother's buried at that said, um, life is tedious and brief. That's good. So brief. William Shakespeare said it like this. He said, the actor struts and frets his hour upon a stage and then is no more. When he wrote the play Macbeth, and he's right. That's what we do, isn't it? We strut and we fret our hour, our short span of time, and then life on this earth is over. The book of James puts it like this. James said in James chapter number 4 and verse number 14, he said that um, life is but a vapor. It's like smoke. Smoke that is here one minute and gone the next. It's like fog. You know how quickly fog can dissipate. That's what he says about life. Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 and 8 that the grass withers and the flower fades. And that's just like our lives. And so Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to us this morning as the church, listen, work while you can work because there's coming a time when you can't. Now, I'm not talking about your job, even though it's good to work at your job. I'm not saying that's good too. But what he's saying here is work at things that really matter while you have time to make a difference. One thing that is tough about being a pastor is sitting at the deathbed of loved ones and being a pastor for the last 14 years now I've seen a lot I've done a lot of that you know and people that I was very close to let me tell you what I found out about people when you're on your deathbed people are not concerned about how big their flat screen tv was and they're not concerned about how big their house was or what kind of car they drove, what kind of clothes they wore, what their banking account statement said. That's not what they were concerned about. None of them cared about any of that. Now, let me tell you what they did care about. First of all, they cared a whole lot at that time about their relationship to Jesus. What have I done concerning Christ? What business have I done with Jesus? They're concerned about that. And should be. They're concerned about what kind of husband they were to their wife and father they were to their children. They're concerned about what kind of wife they were to their husband or a mom or their kid. They're concerned about that. They're concerned about what, a, what kind of a difference they've made in their life that was so tedious and brief. Now again, don't, don't misunderstand me. Hey, Listen, if God's blessed you, that's fantastic with all manner of blessings. Praise God. 
If you've got a big bank account, tithe a little bit. We need good tithers. Hey, if you've got all the stuff that I just, praise God, God's blessed you. Realize that you've been blessed to be a blessing. Nothing wrong with being successful and having all that. The Bible teaches if a man works, he eats. Enjoy yourself. I'm a capitalist. I'm just saying that's not the most important thing. And when it's all said and done, what matters more than anything is your relationship to God and your relationship to people. So what are we doing with now? See, it's good to worry about that stuff on your deathbed. But don't wait too late to worry about it. Worry about it now. Focus on people. Who can you help tomorrow? What kind of a difference can you make in people's lives tomorrow? It might be your husband or your wife or your kids or your work, at your workplace. That lady at the grocery store is going through a tough time. This morning, I, I met a, a guy at the grocery store that's kind of hit it off with him, you know. We sat there and talked for about 10 minutes. Never had met him before, but I tell you what, he's made my prayer list. He made it this morning. I'm going to start praying for that brother. I know he's going to be working on Sunday, so guess where, my next, where I'm going at next Sunday morning before I come to church? I'm going to that store. I'm going I'm to do what I can to, uh, listen, get a relationship with this brother. And I'm going to be praying that God's convicting his heart. Maybe he might open up a door so that I could share the gospel with this guy. You hear me? Because I know that's what really matters. Amen. I'm talking about there's divine opportunities every day if you've got your spiritual eyes open and ready to see them. People who need Jesus everywhere. Let me say this. The man that Jesus ministered to was a beggar. And that day, that's about all a blind man could be. He was begging for his next meal and didn't know if that was coming or not. If there was a social ladder, he hadn't even made it to the first step. If there was a Upper class, a middle class, and a lower class, he didn't even have a class. Now let me tell you what I fear happens a lot of times in the modern American church. We want to reach out to people, but we want them people to be just like us. Because if they're not just like us, that opens up a whole lot of other sticky stuff, some messy stuff. Some stuff that a lot of times we don't really want to deal with. We want our church to grow. But we want it to grow with people just like us. Are you getting me? We want them to be from the same socioeconomic background as us. We want it, them to be the same color as us. We want them to have the same belief system as us. We want all that. Guess what? For God so loved the world that whosoever, whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. So we can't pick and choose who we help. It would have been very, very easy for Jesus to walk right by this dude. He's just a beggar. Nobody cared about him anyway. Guess where he was sitting at? If you go back and read in John chapter 8, Jesus had just argued with a bunch of Pharisees in the temple about him being the light of the world. Jesus is walking out of the temple and laying at the door of the temple is this man. But he's still begging. 
Are you hearing me? He's laying at the door. The temple is supposed to be the place where God's people dwell. The place of love, full of the people of love. And here's a man sitting at the door, still begging. That means he ain't got his food for today yet. And you've got the Pharisaical crowd, these Pharisees, that listen to me. They were very strict in their religiosity. They went into the church every day. Seven days a week they were in the church. They had memorized by heart the first five books of the Old Testament. And every day they walked right by this dude begging at their door. What I'm trying to say is it's very easy to walk right past someone and not even notice their need. Jesus, God incarnate in the flesh, walking by the power of the Holy Spirit, walks up and sees this brother sitting right by the door. He sees the need, he meets the need. Listen, listen to me. How many people, I want you to think about it, how many people do you walk by every day? Could be people at your workplace that are struggling, that are hurting, that need truth, that need somebody to love them. Could be the wife that just found out her husband's leaving. Could be the mama who's dealing with some wayward children. Could be the people that are depressed and discouraged about what's going on in their life. Could be a whole issue of all kinds of things with people all around you every day. How many people do we walk right past on our way to church? Got to get our focus right. So Jesus... And let me say this, once you do see the need, let me tell you what you do. You pray that God gives you wisdom to know how to meet the need. Amen? Because let me say something. Jesus dealt with this brother right here in John 9 with a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of mercy. Didn't he? But let me say something else. There was a crowd in John chapter 8 that he got rough with. You don't believe me, you go back and find in John 8, 44, he told that crowd, he said, you're doing the works of your father, the devil. You're speaking lies because your father, the devil, is a liar and the father of lies. That's pretty hard stuff. Now, was he doing what was best for them? Absolutely, he's Jesus. He knows what's best. He's doing what he's doing in love and with the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen, every situation is different. That's when, you, listen, when we see the need, we've got to get a hold of the wisdom of God to know how to meet that need. We've got to walk under the leadership of the Holy Spirit so that we might be effective. It's important. The focus of Jesus, the futility of the disciples, the way Jesus sees the future, how we ought to see it. I'm going to stop right there. I may finish that tonight. Let me ask you. Are you being the church? Where's your focus? How are you focusing? Where are you focusing? How are you seeing people? There's a very popular song out that I love. It's, it talks about, give me your eyes for just one minute. Give me your eyes so I can see. All the things that I've been missing. Give me your eyes for humanity. Lord, let me see people how you see them. Give me wisdom 
James 1.5 says that if any man lacks wisdom, you know what that means? You don't know what to do. Lord, I just don't know what to do. Well, guess what? James 1.5 says it like this. If you don't know what to do, ask God, and he will give you wisdom, and he will not hold any of it back. Lord, give me wisdom to know how to deal with the needs that I see. Lead me, guide me, direct me, Holy Spirit, so that I might be a blessing and not a burden. Lord, change my focus. If that's you and you need just talk some things over with the Lord this morning, won't you come on over here and get things right in this altar? Listen, I believe in a good old-fashioned altar. The altar is where men and women of God have been doing business with God for thousands of years, and God hasn't changed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never been saved. You need to be saved. You want to be saved. And the Holy Spirit of God's convicted your heart. Listen, you come today. I can't save you walking an aisle. Don't save you. This church don't save you. But the same Jesus who can and has, can and, uh, has saved me can and will save you if you'll trust him. Maybe you're here and, and listen, you know that you've prayed about this where God wants you to serve. Won't you join this church? Get plugged in to this body and be a part of what God does. There's a whole lot of different things, that, a whole lot of different needs. I've come to find out in pastoring that there's a need in every pew and a need in every pulpit. So if you need the Lord in any way this morning, you come. I'd, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like for me to, that's a privilege of a pastor, being able to pray with people. I believe in the power of prayer. I've seen it work in my life. So whatever you need today, don't, don't be quenching the spirit. Be submissive to God's will. Brother, come on up. Everybody stand, please. I'm going to pray for you. This will be your invitation. You do what, God know, what you know God wants you to do. Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for the truth of your word and help us, Lord, today. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be what you've called us to be. Lord, we don't come to church. We are the church as your people. Help us to see what that means in our own everyday life. Help us to have spiritual eyes open and spiritual ears open so that we may see and hear of every opportunity to reach out and make a difference in someone's life. Father God, I'm praying for those here this morning that are lost, that's never been saved. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you convict their heart, make yourself real to them and bring them unto yourself by your power and through your grace and mercy. Lord, you have your way in this time, we pray. Lord, we're going to give you praise for it all because you're alone or worthy in Jesus' name. Amen.